Hello everyone, welcome again to Public Discourse episode 15. My name is Sancho, your co-host with Ricardo. And we once again have a special guest. He's a good friend of mine from Toastmasters International. Check out that organization. Really good stuff going on there. Uh, my Our special guest today, his name is Chris. He's a world traveler having visited 59 countries and 28 U.S. states. He was born and raised in California but currently lives in Washington, D.C. He also lives in France, Kyrgyzstan, Ukraine, and Malaysia. He is a paddy certified scuba diver and also loves hiking, bicycling, and cooking international foods. Chris can speak Spanish and Russian and has also taken classes in French, Kyrgyz, and Malay. He has a bachelor's degree in political science and geography from UC Berkeley and a master's degree in international affairs from George Washington University. When he's not traveling, he spends his time watching foreign movies, learning interesting trivia from other countries, and planning future trips. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, everyone, let me introduce Chris. Thank you, Santo, for having me. It's great to be here uh, to talk with you about some of my favorite, uh, favorite subjects, uh, specifically travel. So I'm really excited to spend some time just discussing trips that I've done and uh, giving, uh, giving your listeners some tips for how they can better travel in the future. Yeah, man. I'm... Definitely super excited about this guest. I think in the past we've said we've had some special guests, but this time we actually made it. This is actually a special guest. Uh, so I'm definitely looking forward to our conversation. So I'm thinking to just get us started. Um, what are your tips, your do's and don'ts for traveling, for planning the perfect vacation or the perfect time away? So when I'm, tra uh, when I'm planning a vacation that I want to do, I typically start out by figuring out a specific place that my vacation will center around. Maybe there's something that I saw online that was a very beautiful mountain or a really uh, just pretty place to go. Maybe you see a, a picture on Facebook uh, that your friend posts in, uh, in Prague in the Czech Republic and you want to maybe consider doing a trip to the Czech Republic. At that point, I would uh, research and see where it's best to fly into. Can you fly into Prague? Can you fly into another larger city that's nearby where it might be a little bit cheaper to fly into? And also look at some of the other things that you could see in that area. If you have maybe a week, you, you might want to spend that entire time in the one city. Or you can go off and take a train out to the countryside and see some smaller towns nearby. And I think uh, you can really get a lot out of it by uh, seeing some of the, the less traveled areas outside of the major cities. And whenever I'm planning a trip, I really like to make sure that I maybe divide my time up so I can see some of the more touristic areas uh, where all the, all the American tourists flock to. And also see some of the less traveled areas where you might be able to see a little bit more of the authentic local culture. And I think it's really rewarding to get, uh, to get some of both of those both of those experiences when you're traveling. Mm -hmm. I think that's good. How, how about some don'ts, though, in terms of maybe, uh, you know, things people don't consider when they're, especially when they're traveling to, uh, you know, maybe a different uh, continent? Some don'ts, I would say, uh, don't overpack uh, when you're planning for a trip. I've seen some people travel and they take a very large suitcase full with maybe two months worth of clothes when they're only planning on traveling for one week and they might be bringing all of their all of their heavy winter clothes when they're going somewhere for the summer or just bringing a few items that you don't necessarily need 
And when you're traveling, you're really going to need to carry all of that stuff with you when you go from city to city. So you want to pack as lightly as possible. So I would recommend if you're traveling for maybe a week or even two or three weeks, don't bring any more than one week's worth of clothes because you, uh, you'll, uh, you'll be able to stop and do laundry when you're traveling and it'll just make your load that much lighter for, uh, for carrying things around. It also makes it easier to just bring a carry-on when you're going on a flight. Uh, if you bring a checked bag, there are more issues that can, uh, that can arise because of that. Sometimes airlines will lose your bag and uh, you'll need to wait a few days before, uh, before it arrives at your destination. And that just can be a huge hassle. Mm -hmm. um, I've had that happen to me and I would just much rather be carrying everything I'm traveling with on my person. So I would say uh, when you're packing, just try to be as light as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. I was, uh, when we were traveling back from Mexico from uh, a wedding that where I come from, I was coming back through Dallas and I don't know, I didn't expect this at all. So I was actually really shocked that this happened, but the line to get through like customs, you know, we're coming from Mexico into uh, the States. So we got to go through customs and, uh, the first time I had done this, um, the line was maybe a 30-minute wait tops. Uh, I don't even know if it was that long because I actually got booted up to the front um, for whatever reason. This time, it was easily more than an hour and a half. And so, I I can only... And like, I actually, I missed my flight because I was in customs for so long. And I in my head, I'm going, I just missed this by a couple minutes. Now imagine if I had to sit there and wait for my luggage to come through if I had checked bags, I would have been I you know it would have been an even worse situation. So I can imagine that that yeah it makes sense to pack light. Whenever I'm traveling uh, internationally and I'm coming either back into the U.S. or when I'm first arriving uh, somewhere overseas, mm -hmm. I like to make sure that uh, that stop is a very long layover because. Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes a lot of issues can arise just with long lines at customs yeah. or uh, picking up your bag, uh, going through and uh, just going through all the formalities of international travel. And so I always like to, if I'm traveling back to the U.S. and I have a layover in Dallas before I go back to where I live, I would like to make sure that's at least maybe three or even four hours to make sure that I have plenty of time. And if customs ends up going very quickly, I could spend uh, maybe an hour or two just sitting in a restaurant having some food in the airport. But uh, I would rather have more time sitting around in the airport than be too short on time and have to miss my flight. So yeah. that's one consideration when you're booking international flights. That's awesome. Uh, Sancho here. Uh, <laughs> so Chris, so thanks for sharing. That was a very interesting tips. I've always struggled in that packing light thing. Because I'm actually raised, when I was raised in the Philippines, my grandma and people, my family, we've always been taught to pack a lot because the mentality, if something happens, you have like extra clothes. <laughs> so I've always, and that's something I always still like kind of struggle with, right? And always, uh, you know, I'm in the mentality like, what if there's no laundry, you know? Mm -hmm. We need, it's better to pack extra, but then, you know, it's, it's hell to do the logistics. Uh, quick question for you in terms of the airports. So in your experience, I know you know in your intro that's pretty impressive. I've been to fifty nine countries. That is crazy. Uh, what is I would say the your favorite and least favorite, like your best experience in an airport versus your worst worst experience in all the airports that you have visited. 
there's really a wide range of airports around the world and some airports are just super cool with so many different things that you can go and see and some airports are very uh, just not well designed and they just are very unpleasant places to be. My favorite airport and I believe a lot of people would agree me, agree with me on this one because this airport is consistently ranked one of the best airports in the world, the Singapore International Airport. The airport is called Chengi and it's a huge airport with a lot of different things to see and once you go through security you can walk for, through all the different terminals go from like terminal one to terminal two and uh, you can just kind of explore the airport if you have a long layover and see all the different things that they have they have huge gardens where you can walk through the airport concourse and look at flowers and different tropical plants they have water slides, I believe, if you're traveling with children and you want your children to be able to play in like a swimming pool and uh, use the water slides. They have lots of really good food and it's just really beautifully uh, like and well designed. One other thing that they do that I really liked is everywhere you're going, they have signs saying like the direction that you need to go in order to get to a gate or a terminal. And they, uh, on those signs, they say how long it would take to walk or take the train like to that destination. So you see, you're going to gate 45, the sign says gate 45, nine minute walk. And then you can plan accordingly when you're going there. And so with that, I think the airport just, they, they're very successful in everything they, they aim to accomplish as an airport. One of my least favorite airports and fortunately, this airport is completely closed down now, so I don't think you'll be <laughs> flying through it anytime soon. But the old Istanbul International Airport, oh, wow. I've, had a, I've had a couple layovers there, and I also went to Istanbul a few years ago. And every experience I had in the old Istanbul airport has been pretty un unpleasant. Um, at one point when I was coming back from Istanbul, uh, I was uh, stuck in traffic on the way to the airport and I missed my flight. And so I needed to spend the night sleeping in the hotel lobby, or the, not the hotel lobby, in the airport lobby, uh, where everyone was checking in and out of their flights. And so I just needed to stay there. And the airport is just not a very pleasant place to be. There's no Wi-Fi, so I couldn't really uh, connect with anybody or tell anybody uh, back home where I was or what had happened. And there just wasn't really like much to do. And so now if you go to Istanbul, they, they close down that airport and they open a new international airport that's supposed mm. to be much nicer. So hopefully uh, if you have a layover there or if you're visiting Istanbul, you'll be able to see the new one, which uh, is a much better airport than the old one. Oh, it's pretty cool. Actually, I was, I've was i been to the Singapore one. Uh, when I went to Singapore, visited some family there. It's pre pretty funny because that's actually... Even people who are not traveling, like if from Singapore, they go there. Like it's like a mall, it's a tourist attraction. Mm -hmm. So I remember I had uh, that wonderful um, noodles, some Singaporean noodles. Like when my uncle picked me up there, he was like, wait, like we're in the, we're still in the airport, but it's like, it's the mall and it's connected to the, I was very impressed by their train. It's like, there's no driver, apparently it's done by magnets. I was like, what, like, am I in the future here? Like what's mm -hmm. going on here? How come, you know, we don't, we don't have this in the metro. <laughs> The trains are so cool in the yeah. airport. They have trains taking you between all the terminals and then they connect them with the trains taking you like downtown and mm -hmm. over the regular metro system. So it's uh, it's very impressive. I know that uh, like Colorado, I think they have a similar train system because that the like Colorado, I think, International Airport. 
is super huge. They have, don't they have their own train system as well? I think so, yeah. Um, I haven't had a layover in, uh, in Denver in a while, mm-hmm. so um, it's, been, uh, it's been a while since I've, uh, I've been there. But yeah, I know that airport is very huge, so yeah. they oh, definitely cool. have a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff. So they have like no driver as well? I don't know. I couldn't. I don't think so. I couldn't tell you. I don't, I'm not gonna say I don't think so. I couldn't tell you. Cool. Maybe they were just uh, the weed. This is the one driving. The trace. Well, actually, I want to get to the meat of this, uh, Chris. So I'm always curious. When did it start? When did you start traveling? Where did mm-hmm. this passion come from? And can you give us a time? Like 59 countries. Like you're around. We're around the same age. How did you do it? Like in your entire life. Uh, how do you able to accomplish you, that? And, yeah. and in in that, and we'll get to this at some point, um, but I really want to know how you're able to travel to 59 countries on what I assume to be a budget. If, you know, So as we're going through this, I, I'd love to be able to just maybe just sprinkle in tips here and there if you can on how to just travel on a budget. Because 59 countries, that sounds expensive, right? I don't know. <laughs> maybe, to me, I, I'm thinking about the fact that I went to Mexico twice and... Uh, I gotta take out like personal loans, and no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but uh, but that was those are pretty pricey uh, trips. So so I'd love to hear just your tips on traveling on the on the on the budget. So as far as my travel history goes, I started traveling pretty early on. Uh, both of my parents are pretty into traveling, and they're very supportive of me traveling. So I'm very fortunate to have that. And when I was younger, maybe around five or six years old, my parents decided to do a trip to China. And so uh, we did like a week-long vacation in China. I got to see the Great Wall of China and a few other things. And that kind of uh, launched uh, my interest in travel. And so I really wanted to travel more after that. Growing up, I did a few more trips. I went with my parents to Thailand and Vietnam, which was really interesting, and also to Italy. So I did some international travel there. But I really started the bulk of my travel uh, when I was in college, when I was in my, doing my undergraduate degree. And at that point, uh, I, spent, uh, I spent a summer traveling around Europe. And so I went to Belgium, uh, the Netherlands, Luxembourg. Those are some of the first uh, European countries I went to. And then after that, I studied abroad in France. And I spent a semester at a university in Paris. And following uh, my time in Paris, I spent the following summer traveling around Europe once again. And so a lot of my travel of those 59 countries, I believe the majority of those are countries in Europe where it's pretty easy to travel from one country to another. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that's really cut down on the, on the cost too, is once you're already somewhere and you've already paid that expensive international flight to get you from the United States to Europe, seeing a, seeing a variety of different countries while you're there, uh, really makes it, uh, makes it easier to, uh, to, add on new countries that you've traveled to. And so uh, I did, I think my first summer or my, after I studied in Paris, I traveled around and I went to like 11 or 12 different countries. Uh, But that was each additional country wasn't like a huge like uh, expense in order to travel there since it was, it wasn't a huge international flight. It was just maybe a a 10 or $15 bus ride to the next country. So that was really nice to, nice to have once you're already in the area. When it comes to cost, though, a few tips that I would have to really uh, cut down on the expenses are really look into hostels. Hostels are a great way to uh, really travel around on a budget. Hostels will typically offer uh, dormitory bedrooms where you can share a bedroom with maybe 10, 20 other people. 
and that will be very cheap. So you can stay in like a hostel like that for maybe, uh, if, if you're somewhere in Europe, it might cost you like 10 or $15 per night. Uh, well, where a hotel room might cost you and like a regular, like luxury hotel might cost you like $150 a night. Um, if you're somewhere in, uh, like Southeast Asia or India, somewhere where it's a little bit cheaper, a hostel dormitory might cost you less than $5 a night, which is a, which is a very good price. Mm -hmm. Typically hostels also have private rooms. So if you're traveling like with your wife or with, uh, with your family or something, you can have, uh, you can have a, a private room for a much lower cost than it would be to stay in a normal hotel. So that's one, uh, one good way to cut down on price. And so, okay, so here's my question with hostels. I feel like that's, and maybe this is just me, but I feel like that's like a young man's thing. Like, I'm thinking now that I'm at the age I'm at, I I would, I just love the idea of having my own personal space, where as when I'm thinking of having nine other guys snoring right next to me, I'm like, I, I don't even know if I could do that anymore. Do you, do you agree with that, or, or do you think... No, I, I got it totally twisted. I think you definitely have a good point, Ricardo. And I, I, I really agree with you because as, uh, as I've gotten a little bit older and now I have a little bit more, uh, more spending money than I did, say, like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I would definitely rather go to a hostel and stay in a private room mm -hmm. where I have my own space uh, rather than stay in like a dormitory with like other people who are snoring. So if you if you can't sleep at all at night because the guy in the in the bunk above you is snoring really really loud, that really uh, cuts into your uh, your travel experience, and you're not going to get a lot out of your trip if the next day you're incredibly sleep deprived and just like falling asleep everywhere because you you couldn't sleep the night before. Yeah, that is true. I mean, uh, I have a, I've been to a hostel once in Miami. Mm -hmm. And I was with a group of friends, including my fiance back then, wife now, my ex fiance, right? And she, yeah, yeah, I didn't mind it actually. I think I, you know, I'm when I grew up in the Philippines, third world country, so like the 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 the, the beds there is like like a regular bed from mm. the Philippines. So I was like, oh, it's like it's nothing, you know. I grew up with this, mm. but then we have like a couple couple of ladies in our group who just couldn't take it and they just decided to book a hotel in Marriott. <laughs> and I think that shows like it really depends on the person too on how, you know, I guess you're more, you're willing to get it down. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, and I think I'm the same thing, especially because of my um, history, you know, where I came from growing up. So I think that's pretty interesting how, yeah, I mean, it, it really saves money, but I guess some people like that luxury, I mean, more than the private room, you know, some people right. actually, you know, have wants it a little more classy situation. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, a question. So I, I want to, you know, have some time for you, Chris, to share some of the stories, you know, that you have, you know, I know you have, you're going to be here for hours to yeah. hear everything. And every time when somebody shared a story. So number one, I want to first ask you, you know, share a story. You know, where we're, you know, exciting, exciting story in one of your travels, one of your adventures. And then secondly, what did you learn? And then finally, what changed in your perspective as an American, you know, born and raised, living in the United States? What changed in your perspective for that, because of that experience? One of my favorite stories, and this is definitely an educational experience too, was uh, just about all the issues I had when I was uh, traveling around Honduras a few years ago. And so I went with one of my friends and we were just uh, just exploring, uh, exploring the country. 
And Honduras is not like a super safe country. It has a higher crime rate than many other countries. So you need to use a little bit more caution when you're traveling around. And they also have, uh, they also tend to have a lot of uh, like political issues, uh, protests, political unrest, a lot of things going on uh, surrounding that. And so when we flew into Honduras, uh, we hadn't really been paying attention to what was going on in the, in the country the last uh, few days. And we realized when we arrived that uh, all of the transportation in the entire country was on strike. And so we wanted to get from one point to another point. And so we were trying to figure out how we were going to get around the country. If we can't take, uh, we can't take taxis, we can't take buses, we can't do anything along those lines. And so we decided to just like go out to like the side of the road and see if, uh, see if we could get a ride with somebody and basically just like hitchhike across the country. And so we went out and uh, it turned out everybody who uh, stopped uh, to help us, almost every single car that drove by was really eager to help us and uh, see like what we needed. And uh, a lot of people were kind of worried about us being two white guys who are traveling around uh, a country that's not particularly safe. And so people were very friendly and offered to help. Uh, people uh, gave us rides from place, uh, from place to place. One thing that had been going on, though, is in order to prevent uh, buses from breaking the strike, uh, the locals had put barricades in the middle of the main highways to make sure that nobody was able to drive through. And so when, uh, when we got a ride with somebody, they would basically take us from where one barricade was to where the, other, where the next barricade was uh, because they couldn't take us any further. And then once we got there, we just uh, quietly walked around the side of like the barricade where a bunch of people were, uh, sometimes people were like lighting cars on fire, like uh, uh, it seemed like fights were about to break out. And we just kind of stayed well away from that and uh, had walked around the side and walked maybe a few hundred feet further and then uh, caught another ride with somebody else. So that went pretty well. Um, I, I mean, it went, as well. Well, <laughs> it went as well as it possibly could have gone yeah. considering the circumstances. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, really, that really taught me that you always need to be flexible with your plans. Uh, sometimes uh, things don't go the way that you want them to go at first. And so you need to be willing to come up with creative solutions in order to, uh, in order to make sure that you're able to get where you need to go. And it also taught me that you, you, you really need to be proactive in, uh, in being able to go out and see what, you, what it was that you wanted to see. We could have also just uh, stayed in and like not seen anything in Honduras and not gone anywhere, but uh, we, were, we were proactive and eager to get to where we wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And we ended up being able to get to all the places that we wanted to go during that trip. And uh, so it was definitely a learning experience. Wow, that's crazy. And when you're talking, it's just... I'm imagining and like how descriptive you are and you're known for that in Toastmasters pretty good. I was imagining your experience. That must be, and it's not an adventure. It might be an understatement for, I mean, I can only imagine how you're fearing for your life or something. And it brought up this question. Well, number one, why are you in Honduras? Yeah. <laughs> number two, uh, you know, you know, so you know, you guys were in my wedding um, and I just got married uh, a few months ago and during the planning of the wedding, one of the biggest pain that I had is when I would invite family and friends, they always bring up safety. You know, oh, Mexico, there's cartels, so safety, you know, I don't want to go. And a lot of people actually didn't go because of that. 
Uh, and like, what is your opinion on that? And like, you know, you obviously <laughs> into a lot of craziness there. Like, why you why are you going to these dangerous places? And you know, what is your message to those people who are scared to like go because of the safety? There, there are places like Honduras that definitely have safety issues, mm -hmm. but these places also have a lot of really fascinating things to see. And because they get fewer, fewer tourists in general, I think it's, uh, it makes it a, a, like a much more vibrant experience to be able to go somewhere where very few people are traveling at the moment wow. and still see the, see the sights and kind of, uh, kind of have that whole experience to yourself. When I was in Honduras, I, I don't think I ran into any other international tourists when we were traveling mm -hmm. around, at least uh, in the mainland. Uh, there's We spent half of our trip on the islands, which are out in the Caribbean, and they, ha they have resorts. They have more kind of like, they cater more towards tourists. But in the mainland, they don't have like a huge tourist infrastructure, but they do have a lot of things to see. One of the main things that I wanted to see in Honduras was the Copan ruins. And so these are ancient Mayan ruins that were built hundreds of years ago. And now they, uh, it's basically a museum where you can go and like look at the ancient pyramids that they've built. And these are huge structures, maybe like 100 or 150 feet tall. And when me and my friend were going around, we were basically the only ones in the entire uh, area with the pyramids. So we were just walking around uh, by ourselves, just like looking at these all, all these huge ancient pyramids. Wow. And that was really fascinating to see because if you go to other places where they have pyramids in let's say Egypt or Cambodia or, uh, or in Mexico. Chichen Itza. Yeah, Chichen Itza. Yeah, yeah. So if you, if you go someplace yeah, like that, there's going to be a, going to be a lot of other uh, tourists. I'm sure when you went to Chichen Itza, oh, yeah. you saw a few other Americans who were gathered yeah, we, around we, taking pictures. We got pictures. some merchandise it's, you know, in this room right now where we work. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah we can see pyramids from where we're filming the podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. Chichen Itza, so very commercialized. That's pretty cool, Ricardo. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I was just, I was just taking this all in. What I want to know, I want to, I want to get to the, uh, I want to get to the interesting stuff. What's the most dangerous country you've been to? Why did you go to that country knowing it was dangerous? And then three, did you actually experience any, any danger while you were there? So I already talked a little bit about Honduras. Yeah. And Honduras might be, uh, might be up there in terms of uh, dangerous countries. Mm -hmm. Another one that I went to recently that also has kind of a bad reputation for crime is El Salvador. Oh, and wow. uh, El Salvador also has a lot of really fascinating things to see. And so for both Honduras and El Salvador, one of the things that I wanted to do was scuba diving. And so when I was in Honduras, that's where I got my certification. So that's where I learned how to scuba dive initially. And in El Salvador, I did some more scuba diving. And El Salvador was really fascinating because I was scuba diving in a volcanic lake. And so we were able to dive down to see the volcanic vents where you could feel the warm water kind of gushing out of the bottom of the lake. Wow. And so that was really fascinating to see. Some of the other things in El Salvador I really enjoyed were uh, we saw some, some other ancient pyramids, some Mayan pyramids, which were really fascinating. Um, uh, one of the pyramids, you could see where they used to perform executions uh, during the Mayan times. And that was really interesting to see. There's also like a beach resort kind of party town called El Tunco, 
which was really cool to see. It's uh, they they get I think mostly domestic tourists right now, so people from other parts of El Salvador go there on vacation, but they definitely have a lot of hotels and like resorts and restaurants along the beach, and it's just a really pretty area. Lots of uh, uh, lots of beautiful places to see. The the water is really warm. I enjoyed uh, just swimming in the ocean there. So yeah, that was definitely uh, definitely worth checking out if you make it to El Salvador. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to safety, there are some simple precautions that you can take. Uh, there's never there's never any way that you can be one hundred percent safe, even if you're in uh, in Maryland or Washington yeah. D.C. It's like you need to acknowledge that crime does happen, and you're not completely protected by something like that. And so, some things that you can do are just uh, maybe. If you're somewhere where you feel a little bit like less safe, you don't want to be walking around on your phone. You don't want to be uh, showing uh, mm -hmm. showing somebody who could potentially rob you that you have something valuable on you right at that at that point. And so, make sure that you have your phone like hidden away, like in your backpack. Um, I I if I'm walking around like El Salvador or Honduras, I wouldn't even have it like in my pocket because somebody could see that like oh this person has like a bulge in their pocket that's uh, that's phone shaped so they have something valuable on them. You also don't want to uh, for for women you don't want to wear any like expensive jewelry when you're walking around that can show that you have uh, have something of value on you too. In Colombia they have a phrase that people say a lot. Uh, don't give papaya and that basically means like don't do anything stupid don't like <laughs> don't give your stuff away to the people who could potentially rob you mm -hmm. if you're if you're walking around and you have your phone out and you're taking selfies on the side of the street in a dangerous neighborhood that's they're like oh you're basically just like giving your phone away gotcha. because you're making yourself an easy target mm -hmm. so whenever you travel anywhere I would just say don't give papaya don't uh, don't don't give yourself away don't make yourself an easy target if you're in uh, if you're in a city in like El Salvador or Honduras, it might be a good idea to just leave your phone, leave your wallet, leave your passport in your hotel room. And when you go out uh, to explore the city, just take a little bit of money with you. And then if uh, if anything happens and if anybody stops you and tries to like hassle you or anything, uh, they won't be able to they won't be able to steal anything that's really important. The most right. that they would be able to steal is maybe. $30, $40 worth of uh, local currency. And uh, I mean, that's not ideal, but that's also not like a huge loss. And so that really, uh, really cuts down on uh, on the risk that you're putting yourself in. Have you ever been robbed? I have not been robbed. No, I've been uh, really lucky in all my travels. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I have not been in any uh, like dangerous or sketchy circumstances. There's a lot of times when things have could have potentially gone wrong, mm -hmm. but I haven't had any issues like that. So I want to kind of like jump a little bit away from this and I'm going to, I think this is going to be like a bit of a weird question. It's super open-ended, so I'm going to let you answer how you think best to answer this. Um, I won't elaborate. How do you, how do you think, okay, so, so when people travel, right, you think of a couple, couple ways that they travel. One, it's, to go there and experience like the luxury items. So like if I go to like Mexico, right? Maybe I'm getting one of the nicer hotels, staying at the nicer areas because I can afford to and I'm having a nicer experience. But in doing that, I'm maybe kind of pushing myself from being able to experience 
uh, real culture, right? The, the real culture of the area. So how, how would you do that? Where, like, how do you, how do you go about experiencing the culture of, of these new places that you go to? Um, whether it's going to bars, starting up conversations with the locals, like, how do you go about doing that? I think experiencing the local culture is one of the most important parts of travel. And when for some people, you might travel and you might just stay at like a five star all inclusive resort. And that's your choice. Like you can do that if you want. But I really don't think you're getting the most out of your experience if you're doing that. Because really, a five-star hotel in Cambodia or Mexico is going to be pretty similar to like a five-star hotel in like the United States. You can go to a five-star hotel here and eat pancakes for breakfast every day and walk around the hotel lobby and see the chandelier. It's going to look pretty similar to the other experiences that you would be getting overseas. Versus if you're uh, if you're staying in like a local uh, a local village or something or uh, or just like a small hotel, like in like the middle of like a major city, uh, you're going to have much more opportunity to interact with like the locals and really, uh, really experience the culture that you went overseas to see. Mm-hmm. A few ways that you could really maximize your experience overseas is by making sure that uh, you're, you're using local businesses and not uh, not using like the American or like Americanized businesses. So if you if you want to go to uh, go to Thailand, for example, staying in like a hotel that's owned by Thais instead of staying at like the Ritz Carlton or the Marriott and also going out and eating at like the local restaurants instead of eating at like McDonald's or something along those lines. <laughs> I really don't understand when people like travel overseas and they eat at like McDonald's as if that's mm-hmm. something that you can't get when you're here in the exactly. US. Well, I wanna, can I actually do that? I'm that person. So I just want to say the reason I'm doing it, I want to try the McDonald's in a different country. How is it different comparing it to the McDonald's in the okay, US? Okay. Yeah, I did that in Mexico. Uh, one thing I did, I ate uh, Popeye's from when I was in New Orleans. I was like, okay. this is the real one. It was built here. So I, I just want to like add Wait. that. Is it, is it, and have you found that it, it even is different? Yeah, okay. it's different. Yeah, like, I mean, it's better the same. different? Uh, Worse I'm, different? I'm not sure if it's psychological. Maybe that's my brain telling me right. this must be better because it's from New Orleans. Yeah, it's from Louisiana. <laughs> but the McDonald's that they're known for, I mean, coming from the Philippines, our McDonald's is different than here. Mm-hmm. They have like their, like when I was in Mexico, I think I had their Mexican burger or something. So they have their own like uh, specific menu item mm-hmm. that is not sold here gotcha. that makes sense yeah. so that that's, that's at least for me what, that's why i do it one thing yeah. when it comes to food and when you mentioned the yeah. philippines it reminded me of this mm-hmm. but different places have like their own local fast food too yeah so when i was in the philippines i made it a point to eat at uh, jollibee yeah. because everyone was telling me they were like you need to try jollibee it's like it's similar to like McDonald's. It's on like every street corner, but it's like, it's so good. It's the best fast food you'll ever have. So I made sure that I got that. And I feel like I really got the local Filipino experience by eating at Jollibee. Mm-hmm. But usually if I'm like, if I'm in, let's say India or something, I, I really try to go to the, the places like the local little stand on the street corner mm-hmm. and to get like the, the, the real local food that the guys made like right there. It can be a little bit risky. Sometimes you have some like stomach issues afterwards, and I've I've definitely had that happen. But I feel like uh, like the benefit of getting that experience outweighs outweighs the risk. 
It's funny that you say that. Um, we were in New York. Um, Sancho, you weren't at the trip. It was with your uh, fiance. Ex fiance. Um, yeah, yeah, she's my wife. Well, she's your yeah. girlfriend at the time. Ex girlfriend. Um, so your ex girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and and the other people that we were with, and uh, I think you were the one who were like, "Go to Jollibee. Go to Jollibee. Oh yeah. Go to Jollibee <laughs> or something like that." You were like, "You should. You should try it." And I remember we walked. I remember walking like probably a mile. We walked like a mile to get to Jollibee. We took one look at that restaurant. We were like, "No, no, no, we're not doing." Why, why not? Because yeah. it just looked like such bad fast food. I think the neighborhood that we were at was kind of a little bit kind of, I wouldn't say crappy, but like Queens is crappy. It wasn't Queens. I don't think we were in Queens. Oh, we guess what? I don't think we were in Queens. I don't remember what where we were. If I'm being honest, but I remember we just looked at the restaurant and we were just like, "No, we're doing something else." And uh, we ended up going to some like Asian fusion place, which is probably worse, but. Uh, that's right, they're here, well, but uh, to give, I want to give context on this Jollibee situation. Mm-hmm. So it's good that you ate Jollibee in Chris in the Philippines. But actually, Jollibee's like we don't really care too much about it in the Philippines. The only reason it's special here because it's a business. It's like a fast food that became so successful that now they have stores in the U.S. Mm. Uh, so it's special when you eat it here. Yeah, but when you eat it in the Philippines, it's just like it's like, it's like eating Taco Bell or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, but yeah. I was in the Philippines. Yeah. Everyone was telling me like, "Oh yeah, you need to." Yeah, have it, it. it's like so. saying like you're in America. Like, oh, you gotta try McDonald's because it's our yeah. most famous fast food, basically. Mm-hmm. But we have a, I don't know if you did you try the street food there too? Yeah, I tried yeah. some okay, street that's food. Good. It yeah. was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember when I was a teenager in the Philippines. That street food would be my dinner. Mm-hmm. I would be living in the computer cafe and just play computer, and then I would just buy like. And this is like to give context to our American listeners. Uh, this is back in like 2005, but it doesn't matter with inflation. Like, what? It's like 50 pesos for a dollar, mm-hmm. right? I would eat, like, the food I'm eating is like one pesos per, like, calamari shrimp. So yeah, I would so spend, like, 20 pesos, and that's my dinner. So yeah. my dinner is like a quarter, yeah. like 50 cents USD. Yeah. You know, and that's how big. And I think you touch about, I think we talked about before how big the, you save money by traveling in a way, right? Yeah, I think you could definitely, like, save money if you're traveling for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, like, in uh, in India, for example, everything that you spend money on on, like, a daily basis, including, like, your hotel, the food that you eat, the local transportation, that's probably going to cost a lot less mm-hmm. than uh, just uh, paying for your meals every day, like, here uh, in the United States. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if you're... Once you uh, get over the fact that it, the flight to India is very expensive, if you're there for a longer period of time, you could actually save money by traveling. Yes. Yeah. Some other ways that you might want to uh, get a little bit more in touch with the local culture uh, when you're traveling mm-hmm. is to make sure that you learn a little bit of the local language. Mm-hmm. I always try to do that wherever I go. So I would uh, like learn a little bit of uh, a little bit of Tagalog, a little bit of Thai, just like a few basic words. Uh, to really get me by, and I can't really carry on a conversation in those languages, but mm-hmm. I feel like if you walk into a restaurant and you order something and you say thank you in the local language, mm-hmm. they really appreciate it, and it yeah. really connects you with the locals. Mm-hmm. I want to, I mean, just bias, I want to ask more about your experience in the Philippines. Can you share more in your, you know, your your adventures there? What is what is what did you do and how what did you think about my home country yeah i thought i i had um a, a lot of really interesting foods in the philippines i had a lot of uh as you know there's a lot of different types of deep fried meat mm-hmm. and so i had uh 
deep fried frog. I had uh, sisig was one of my favorites. Oh, that yeah, super like hot sizzling uh, pork dish. Mm -hmm. I think they usually put an egg on top, and so you spicy. have like scrambled egg in with it. Uh, so the Philippines doesn't have a lot of spicy food, which kind of disappointed me. Mm -hmm. So I I really loved all the spicy food I had been eating in like Thailand and Malaysia, and then when I went to the Philippines. Uh, they just they didn't have that as much, but I felt like it made up for it in like the rich, uh, the rich, greasy, like meaty foods. Yeah. Very rich. It probably took a few years off of the end of my life. Like I'm probably going to have some uh, some long term uh, health uh, health side effects because of yeah. that. But uh, it's uh, it's definitely uh, yeah, yeah great to have that. You know, what's funny because I actually had a debate with my friend from the Philippines about it. Cause I I caught I caught up with him and I was like yeah in the Philippines your food is very the food there's not healthy at all and then he was like what what are you talking about? you're you're in America like that's the food is worse there <laughs> I was like we had a debate that which is worse Filipino food or American food I mean I guess neither is really known for <laughs> yeah. their uh, for their healthy food yeah so. <laughs> yeah that they you know uh, but at least here I mean you can do it there too they can choose more salads and. You know, it's up to the person, right? But you got to seek it. It's not like the common food. Uh, I always wondered, logistically, Chris, how do you plan these trips? Like, are you inviting your friends? Do you have, like, a travel buddy or going on your own? Like, how? what is your, like, uh, mechanism whenever you do these things? I've done uh, trips both by myself and with friends. And I, I really like traveling with other people, especially if you could find like one or two other people that have the same goals uh, when you're traveling as you do. And I, I like maybe traveling with one or two other people where you can kind of stick together and see different things. Mm -hmm. If you have four or more people traveling together, I feel like the group kind of tends to like break up into like two or three people go one way and two or three people go another way. And you kind of end up separating and seeing like different sets of things. So I, I like I would say two or th uh, just two, two or three people is a good group to travel with. I've also done a lot of traveling on my own, uh, which I really enjoy, uh, partly because just because I do a lot of traveling. I sometimes I reach out to friends and I'm like, hey, I'm doing a trip here. Do you want to come? And nobody else really has uh, like can take that um, that much time off of work mm -hmm. or uh, really can afford to do a trip like that. And so I don't want to be limited by my friend's schedules. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, okay, if I have the time and the money to do this trip, I'm just going to do it by myself. And when you're traveling by yourself, you really aren't traveling by yourself because it's so easy to meet other people, especially if oh, you're wow. staying in hostels where it tends to be a lot of other people who are traveling by themselves. You can meet up with people and uh, you can maybe you meet some good friends in a hostel and uh, you decide to go to another city after that together. I've done that wow. quite a few times. That's crazy. I've changed my plans because uh, I wanted to join uh, other people in the hostel with like what they were doing. Um, I, uh, I've just had lots of crazy adventures that I've had with random people who I've met when I was traveling. And those are, those are definitely great experiences. I also still keep in touch uh, to this day with a lot of other like random people who I've, I've met yes. when I'm overseas. Um, sometimes people come to Washington DC and I'm like, Hey, we should, uh, we should catch up while you're traveling to my city. I can show you around. So I think that's a, uh, it's travel is a really great way to meet other people. Oh, that's crazy. I want to, so I want to learn more about your secrets, you know, and show you the way because I traveled in the far city of San Francisco, you know, in the West. <laughs> so I was, I was there actually for a week. Uh, before COVID a couple mm -hmm. years ago for my nephew's birthday and you know my family was there but they're all working 
So I was on my own, you know, just leaving in the morning, coming home late at night. But I was like exploring the city on my own. So it was fine in the first few days, but being the extrovert that I am, and I'm like, I need people. I need people to hang out with. And I failed in a way. I still did it on my own because I just, how? How do I like, how do you do it? How do you like, do you just talk to a random guy in the street or a random girl like, hey, you want to travel with me? You want to go to a bar with me over there? Like, how do you do it? How do you break the ice? Because that, that's something that I spectacularly failed at when I was in San Francisco. I've definitely yeah. been in the exact same situation. Yeah. I've had a few trips where I was traveling by myself and I was kind of like looking forward to like, oh, maybe I'll meet some really fascinating, like interesting people and yeah. create like lifelong friendships. And then I just ended up like not meeting anybody uh, like during the course of that trip. And I kind of felt like, oh, I was like missing out on something. I didn't make any new friends on this trip. Mm -hmm. But that happens sometimes. That happens where you just you don't meet any any new people. But there are some tips that I would uh, give you in order to maybe yeah. maximize your chances of mm -hmm. like making new friends. <laughs> I think the best place to meet people while traveling is hostel bars. Because if you're staying at a hostel with a bunch of other people who are like traveling by themselves, uh, everyone's going to kind of go to the bar and congregate and start talking to each other. And at that point, it's kind of like a free for all where anybody can talk to anybody else without uh, without anybody being offended or thinking like that. You're weird. Okay. It's just kind of like that's what everybody does. That's how people make new friends when they're traveling. And uh, if you go if you go to like a, a random like bar somewhere else and you just start talking to the group of people at the table next to you they might think you're kind of weird and not yeah, like I... <laughs> uh let you chime into their group but uh usually at hostel bars it's a it's a pretty good place to do that so that's where you had success before yeah yeah that's where... definitely uh where i've met a lot of the people who uh who i've uh traveled with or just yeah that's how i've met a lot of people in the past yeah because i mean when i was on france i definitely tried i was like you know we're in an art museum like you know, this this art piece is pretty incredible, right? What do you think? And we just had to go, yeah. Like, and then that's it. We talked for like two sentences. And then I don't talk like, what? can you come with me to the bar later? Like, you know, like I just, I just don't know how to do it. But yeah, I guess it makes sense. It depends on the venue itself in the context. Yeah. If you ask people like who are traveling, like you come up to them and they're you're like, oh, so is this your, your first time in San Francisco? Mm. What did you do today? Like, where are you traveling from? Fellow travelers. You know? Yeah, and people love to talk to you about their, their travel stories too. Mm -hmm. And so if you can just listen to some people tell you about like where what city were you in before you went to San Francisco? Did you like it? Would you recommend going there? And you ask those questions, people will really open up and people will be eager to talk to you about things. Yeah, yeah like I'm thinking uh, like the story you were, you were just talking about where, you know, you, you go, hey, I think this painting's great. What do you think? Right. And then it's like me, me thinking like if, if Chris, you know, did that to me, I would answer this question. I move on with life because I would just think he's some guy who really appreciates art. Right. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you take his advice and you go, yeah, I'm from the East Coast and I'm here for the first time and I'm just enjoying oh, the area. Now I'm thinking, yeah. oh, cool. He's, he's probably got stories, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I wouldn't necessarily hang out with you after, but I'd go, hey, maybe you should check out so-and-so bar, mm -hmm. you know, or so-and-so club um, for uh for fun or anything like that so maybe kind of letting them know like you said 
hey, I'm traveling. Like, hey, yeah. like, let's talk. Yes, let's I, talk I always like. have success striking mm-hmm. a conversation, mm-hmm. but I don't have success for them to come with me. For me to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're just like, okay. That's another then, difficult yeah. element to have all we'll together. We'll just small talk something and then mm-hmm. nice to meet you. Maybe that's just a big ask, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you're actually right. Most people maybe think, why does this guy yeah. want to hang out with me? Like, why does he want to follow me to a club? Yeah, yeah. it makes sense. Like, I, I mean, just met him 10 minutes ago. We're talking about art and I wants to hang out with me. So, you know. Yeah. One thing with your specific example too, if you if you're talking to somebody you just met like in an art museum, yeah. uh, sometimes in museums it's kind of like frowned upon to uh, talk to a lot of mm. other people or make a lot of noise. People like to kind of preserve like a quiet atmosphere mm-hmm. in museums. Yeah, sure. And so some people, if a stranger comes up and starts talking to you, you might want to, to in order to not be rude to the other people in the museum, mm-hmm. you might try to try to stop the conversation quickly and just be like, oh yeah, it's a it's a good painting and then just end it at that mm-hmm. uh, because you might think if you if you're like oh hey man like yeah we should hang out later on and then you start talking really loudly in the museum uh, security might ask you to leave so, people might yeah. uh, start like uh, frowning at you or giving yeah. you weird looks so in the hostel bar you straight up ask you want to hang out later kind of something like that sometimes yeah. yeah I think uh, you can ask uh, people just get to know a little bit about them and be like, Hey, like, where, where are you from? Like, what have you seen? Asking people for recommendations Mm -hmm. is, is a great way. If Mm -hmm. you're like, Oh, you've been in San Francisco a few days. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's your favorite neighborhood? Mm -hmm. Or what are you planning on seeing tomorrow? Maybe we can go, uh, go see a museum together. Maybe we can go, uh, go do this, uh, like walk through the city together. Um, and then if you, if you invite people to do something that you're considering seeing, Mm -hmm. I think that's a little bit less like intrusive of you than you inviting yourself to go with them and being like, Hey, if you're going to this museum, can I go with you? People might think that's a little bit odd, but (laughs) if you frame it, yeah. yeah. If you frame it where it's like, Hey, I'm going to go, uh, to check out the art museum tomorrow. You want to come with me? I'd love to have some company. Yeah. And people might be eager yeah. to. And those to really are travelers. That. Are like the same feathers flock together. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. That's cool. Well, uh, what have, uh, you know, we have ten minutes left, so we'll be wrapping up a little thanks bit. Up, yeah. So thanks a lot, Chris. I just have like one question, just in my mind, just throughout this whole conversation. How how do you get the courage? Like it must be like I'm just thinking mm-hmm. about it, right? I mean, I've, I'll go to the Philippines anytime because I grew up there. But if you ask me to go to like. Cambodia or like Myanmar or like Tajikistan or whatever you know or even whatever country I never heard of I'll be like um, I don't know if I will because yeah. <laughs> I just like fear of the unknown right like and then the safety and all that stuff where do you get the courage to just go you know when I started traveling by myself I was a little bit more hesitant to mm-hmm. go off and like see new things and have those experiences but once I started it almost became like addicting where it's like I got uh, I I stepped off the flight and now it's uh, everything is different around me and I suddenly need to figure out how to do things uh, how like the way that people do it in the Philippines or the way that people do it in India and so just learning about like the world uh, just like right away like learning about how things work in a different country is so fascinating and such like an amazing experience to have. I remember my first time ever traveling by myself. I was in Europe, and I had been traveling with a few friends in uh, in Western Europe, in like uh, Belgium and the Netherlands. And then I flew from Amsterdam to Latvia, and I from there I was just traveling by myself around Eastern Europe. And I remember on my first day in Latvia, I just felt like really uncomfortable, 
just not because there was anything weird about Latvia, but because I just wasn't used to traveling by myself. I was walking around the city and it's, it's a beautiful city. Riga, the capital of Latvia, has a lot of cool things to see. And I was looking at like the museums and all that, but I just, I didn't have anybody by my side to talk to. I didn't have uh, really, I didn't really have anything else to do. So I kind of, at one point on like that day, I went into like a restaurant like by myself and I was just sitting down like ordering some food and a random guy came up to me and talked to me and was like, hey, like you, you look like you're like a tourist here. Like how, like, why did you choose to go to Latvia? And they re reached out and they made that, they started the conversation oh, wow. and I, I really appreciated that. And I was like, wow, and finally I have somebody who speaks English, who I can talk to and like have a conversation with like another American who happens to be uh, traveling here too. Mm -hmm. And so we just, uh, I think we sat and had dinner together and just had like a conversation of, like that. And uh, then from there, I started feeling a little bit more comfortable when I was traveling by myself. Wow. But it's still, there are times when you're traveling by yourself when you feel a little bit lonely, especially if you're like waiting in a long, like, uh, like if you have a long wait in a bus station, that's like the most miserable times for me is when it's like, I have a long ways to go before my flight leaves or before my bus leaves and I just have nothing else to do. <laughs> Sometimes I feel lonely in those times, but, uh, it's overall, it's a very rewarding experience to be able to just travel by yourself. Yeah, it's 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 funny that you say like you asked like, uh, how do you have the courage? Because in his answer, it was like it becomes a day thing, and I'm I think I'm experiencing a bit of that. Like since I've come back from these Mexico trips, um, I don't have fear of leaving the country anymore. For me, it's like okay, well, where are we going next now? Um, like I'm thinking after. So I want to go to a Spain trip, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that later. But after I do that trip, I want to go to Africa, um, and I want to just—I want to—I just want to go to some country in that continent. And so there's no fear of like the unknown there. Mm -hmm. um, my fear, though, is—and I'm curious how you were able. Like, first of all, I want to—I want to—I want to ask you about this. But my personal fear is traveling alone. Like me personally, uh, I, I'm making a trip later on at the end of this year, and part of it is because. Um, I do want to travel out of the country with an old friend of mine since I've known him since like middle school. And I want to do that. I want to have that experience. But also because admittedly, I had a fear of making this trip on my own. And so I wanted to ask you, what was your first solo trip? And how did you gain the courage for that? Because that's something I'm having difficulty trying to get through. Because if I can get through that, I'll be in a new country like every month. You know what I mean? Like it's just, I, I, I'll definitely take advantage of that. But I'm just not at that stage yet. I would say my my first solo travel was really uh, that uh, that time in Latvia that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. But my my one solo trip that really opened my eyes to a lot of different things was uh, the summer after I graduated uh, for with my bachelor's degree. I did an entire summer long trip for about nine weeks around Southeast Asia, and I went to I believe seven or eight different countries in Southeast Asia during that trip, and. That would just really open my eyes to the way that you can travel uh, by yourself. And I, I, I met so many incredible people on that trip mm -hmm. and I still keep in touch with a lot of them. And uh, so, yeah, that, that just really uh, that really helped boost my confidence. Um, it helped uh, bring me from somebody who was like reluctant to suddenly go to a uh, go to a new country to somebody who's like really eager to take that on.
And uh, one, one other thing that I often feel uncomfortable with is changing plans. I'm the type of person who likes to have like plans set ahead. And during that trip in Southeast Asia, I frequently met travelers who were like, oh, we're going to this other country like tomorrow. Do you want to join us? And at that point, several occasions on the trip, I was just like, sure, I'll change all of my plans and drop everything else and just go, uh, go travel with you for a bit because that sounds awesome where you're going. That's pretty cool. Uh, so we're just going to wrap up. I think we're pretty much done uh, the podcast. <laughs> Amazing, Chris. Thank you so much for sharing all your experiences, your tips. Uh, I just want to say for me, let's go with final thoughts, maybe like a minute or so each. But I would say... No, I still got a question. Uh, oh, you still got a question? Yeah, I still got a question. Okay. I mean, if you want to get to... No, go, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask first. you about... Uh, so you, you were talking about how you've been all over the place in Europe. Have you been to Spain? I have not been to Spain. That's Matter pretty high up on my list, okay. but that's... Uh, that's yeah. where you're going, right? Yeah, yeah. So my bucket list item. I'm I'm a soccer I, I'm a soccer fan and uh, liked right. I don't necessarily watch it every week, but one of my bucket list items is to go to Spain and watch what's known as El Clasico. I don't oh, know nice. If you're familiar with that? I haven't heard of it. No worries. So what El Clasico is is it's the two biggest, um, his uh, Hispanic two biggest Spanish, uh, professional soccer teams. They clash against each other, uh, Barcelona versus Real Madrid. They have, I don't know if this is an ancient rivalry, but it's a pretty heated rivalry. And so it's these two games, right, because one is at the home stadium of Real Madrid, the other is at the home stadium of Barcelona. Um, these two games are pretty heated, and uh, they're probably the biggest games of the season. Um, and so my bucket list item is to go out to Spain, go to Real Madrid, um, or go to Madrid, not Real Madrid, but go to Madrid and uh, watch... Not the fake, not the fake Madrid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and go watch one of their games at, at their home stadium. And, and that's, like, I wanna, I'm doing that next year, right? I, I, me and, that uh, sounds really awesome. Are planning for it. And then, like I said, it's a big bucket list sign-up for me, and so I wanted to I wanted to get into a little bit of Spain if you had had those experiences. But if you don't, it, it's, it's no big deal. I have a lot of places I would like to see in Spain, but I don't have any experiences there already. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we'll be doing Spain, and then we'll be going down to Portugal. Have you been to Portugal? I've not been to Portugal either, to Portugal. so yeah. that's another one that I really want to go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for that one. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how, that, how those end up playing out. But yeah, I'm, yeah I'm good luck with that. Portugal. That sounds like yeah. fun. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a great time. Have fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's my. I did that in San Antonio when I watched the Spurs. Mm-hmm. My dream is to watch American stuff. Yeah, and I live here now. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. Thanks, uh, Chris Ricardo. Uh, let's just give our, you know, each one of us give our final thoughts, right? Yeah. Uh, I would say for me, uh, I just feel blessed, very blessed to be blessed and inspired. Those two things. Number one, blessed because I came from a country, or at least my social situation with my family and friends where no one travels outside of the country just because of, you know, just have no money to do it or, you know, even approve the visa. Like, yeah, you need to have like really good money, you know, like to do it. So to be able in this situation to have the capability to actually travel, to make enough money to buy a plane ticket, uh, that's pretty, you know, it's pretty crazy compared to where I came from. And inspired because of all your stories, Chris, and all your tips. I'm inspired now to travel more. Um, you know, me and my, my new wife, you know, my ex fiance, ex girlfriend, uh, love of my life, is uh, where we've always planned to travel around. So we'll, you know, we'll definitely take your, we'll talk to you more about it maybe later. We definitely want to travel a lot. Uh, 
But yeah, so yeah, thank you, Chris. So yeah, my final thoughts. Um, you know, I, I, I came from uh, a past where I, we couldn't travel um, for just financial reasons. And so now that that's changed because I have a bit more disposable income, I would definitely think that I'm blessed in that regard as well. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to future trips out of the country. I have my bucket list trip. I think I've said on the podcast a couple times now where I want to go to Spain. And uh, I've already started the planning of that with one of my closest friends. He's like a brother of mine. So I'm looking forward to that trip. And then after that, I want to go somewhere to Africa. I've got no idea where. I wouldn't even know where to start. But I haven't heard anyone that I know has gone to Africa, except probably Chris. Um, and so, I, you know, I want to go there and, and maybe experience what that culture is like. Or what that culture It's a continent. But maybe experience what some of the uh, countries are like there. So, I don't know. I'll pass on to you, Chris. Yeah, I, I've actually not been to Africa. So, that's one that's high up on my list. We can, we can too, all go to so. Wakanda. Yeah, yeah. Wakanda we can forever. all do a trip together. <laughs> I, I'm thinking South Africa sounds super fascinating. I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of cool stuff to see. Mm-hmm. And Kenya and Tanzania both uh, have, like, a lot to see, too. Um, you can go on uh, some safaris, see some animals. Uh, I know that they have some uh, scuba diving off the coast, which is something that I would really like to get a little bit more experience in. And yeah, it just sounds like uh, sounds like a beautiful place to go. So maybe we can all do a trip like that sometime. But uh, yeah, before we conclude, I just want to wish all of our uh, uh, all of our listeners safe travels and best of luck with uh, with your future travels. And I re- we really hope that this has inspired you to maybe find a few places that you want to go and to step out of your comfort zone and talk to some people in the hostels, see if you can meet some new people and make some lifelong friends while traveling. So um, I think uh, that's that's all I have to contribute right now, but I'll hand it back to Sancho. Yeah, so thanks, uh, Chris. Of course, Ricardo. You know, I just want to say I've known Chris for a while now. We've done a lot of things in Toastmasters and he always gives a lot of great speeches about travel. So if you want to be, if you're in the D.C. area and you want to hear more about Chris's travels, join us at Toastmasters Club. Uh, we, we meet second and fourth uh, Thursday, uh, Monday, sorry. Second and fourth Mondays, uh, 1899 L Street Northwest. Uh, you know, let, let us know in public discourse if you want to join us. Uh, I know Ricardo joined some Toastmasters Clubs as well. I went to a couple. Yeah, got a couple. But yeah, thank you so much. This is, I think this has been a wonderful episode, wonderful podcast. I learned a lot. I definitely did. I've been very inspired to travel and I do believe that we all live one life uh, and we like seeing the world, you know, we are, like think about it. We are in a time in history where we can actually see all these places. You know, imagine 200 years ago, we have to take a little like galleon, you know, the Mm -hmm. black pearl, like, you know, parts of the Caribbean type of ship to travel. It take us like six months to go like one area, one place. And now we can just and fly hope, it. And hope we make it. Yeah, and hope <laughs> we make it. Like that's some sea monster. Be on the high like seas a... for like yeah. two weeks straight, three weeks, and try not to get scurvy. Yeah. Exactly. And no, I get seasick, so I'm screwed. Yeah, and no, no Kraken is going to attack you, <laughs> but no, no pirates. <laughs> but yeah, now we can just fly anywhere. I mean, assuming you have the funds for it. But yeah, so thank you everyone. Uh, once again, this is Sancho and Ricardo and our special guest Chris today. Uh, we are on Facebook, Public Discourse. Just search it. 
where the our profile picture there's multiple public discourse pages there but we have a picture that has says public discourse with a view of wonderful washington dc where we're from uh, we also have an email at publicdiscoursepodcast at gmail.com feel free to email us for any questions or if you want to be a future guest in our wonderful podcast i just want to say thank you everyone have a good day have a good night have a wonderful weekend or weekday whenever you listen to this thank you thanks Bye. everyone see ya <laughs> <laughs>